0: Read along with me. I want you to stay in it. Stay in it. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now it came to pass, when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle, that he anointed it and consecrated it and all its furnishings, and the altar and all its utensils, so he anointed them and consecrated them. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of their fathers' houses, who were the leaders of the tribes, and over those who were numbered made an offering. And they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered carts and twelve oxen, a cart for every two leaders, and each one an ox. And they presented them before the tabernacle. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Accept these from them. Which appears then that it was some form of free will offering that Moses had to go check. <coughs> Excuse me that they may be used in doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall give them to the Levites, to every man according to his service. So Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershom, according to their service, and four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari, according to their service under the authority of Itamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. But the sons of Kohath he gave none because theirs was the service of the holy things which they carried on their shoulders now the leaders offered the dedication offering to the altar when it was anointed so the leaders offered their offering before the altar for the lord said to moses they shall offer their offering one leader each day for the dedication of the altar are you ready all right we'll see you all look like for what And the one who offered his offering on the first day was Nachshon. Could you say Nachshon? The son of Aminadab. By the way, his name means to hiss or whisper. The son of Aminadab from the tribe of Judah. His offering was one silver plate, the weight of which was 130 shekels. One silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them full of fine flour with oil as a grain offering. One gold pan of 10 shekels, full of incense. One young bull, one ram, one young lamb in its first year as a burnt offering. One kid of the goats is a sin offering. And of the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Nachshon, the son of Aminadab. On the second day, Nathaniel, would you say Nathaniel? The son of Zuar, the leader of Issachar, presented an offering. For his offering you're offered... One silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels. One silver bowl of 70 shekels. According to the shekel of sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering. One gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense. One young bull, one ram, one young lamb in its first year as a burnt offering. One kid of the goats as a sin offering. And as a sacrifice of peace offerings. Two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Nathanael, the son of Zuar, Day three. On the third day, Eliyav. Wow, we've really lost theme already. It's only day three. On the, on the third day, Eliyav, yeah. the son of Chelon, leader of the children of Zebulun, presented an offering. His offering was, surprisingly enough, one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of You guessed it, fine flour mixed with grain or oil as a grain offering. One gold pan of ten shekels full of incense. One young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering. One kid of the goats as a sin offering. And for the sacrifice of peace offering was two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in the first year. This was the offering of Eliav, the son of Helon. On the fourth day, Elitzur, the son of Shedur. The leader of the children of Reuben, presented an offering, surprisingly enough. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a burn offering. One kid of the goats as a sin offering and as the sacrifice of peace offerings. Two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in the first year. This was the offering of Litzur, the son of Shadur. On the fifth day of Shalumiel, the name means peace of God, the son of Zerushadai, leader of the children of Simeon, presented an offering. His offering was... One silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels. One silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekels of the sanctuary. Both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering. One gold pan of 10 shekels is full of incense. One young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a burn offering. One young, one kid of the goats as a sin offering. And it's a sacrifice of peace offerings. Two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in the first year. This was the offering of Shalumiel, the son of Zerushadai. On the sixth day, Eliasaf, the son of Duel. He's in French, Duel. His name means God gathers, by the way, Eliasaf. A leader of the children of Gad presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels. One silver bowl of 70 shekels. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with? As a? One gold pan of 10 shekels full of? One young bull, one ram, one male goat in its first year as a? burnt offering. One kid of the goats as a? And as the sacrifice of? Peace offerings. Two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs in the first year. This was the offering of Elishap, the son of Jewel. On the seventh day, Elishmar, his name means the God who hears. I love that name. The son of Amichud, leader of the children of Ephraim, presented an offering. His offering was one silver bowl, the weight of which was? Ah, see, right, one silver platter. Thank you. One silver platter, the weight of which was? 130 shekels. One silver bowl, that was? Seventy shekels. See, some of you are staring and still not getting it. According to the shekels, sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil is a grain offering. One gold pan of? Ten shekels full of? Yes. One young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a? One kid of the goats as a? One sacrifice of peace offerings, which was two oxen, five ram, five male goats, five male lambs in the first year. This was the offering of Elishama, the son of Amichud. On the eighth day, and you kind of get the idea we're going to do this how many times? Wow. Twelve. Yeah, you guys. Some of you are like, see, this is why I don't read the Bible, because this is like repetitive. Yeah, well, stick with me. Some of you already are going, what in the heck is he going to get out of this? I'm so excited I could barely stand it. But we're on day eight. <laughs> on the eighth day, Gamaliel, which means the God who rewards the son of Bed, I like this name too, Bedachuzur, leader of the children of Manasseh. Presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was? 130 shekels. One silver bowl. The weight of that was? That's right. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them were full of what? Mixed with oil. And for what? Grain offering. One gold pan of? What was that full of? One young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a? One kid of the goats as a? And as the sacrifice of? Two oxen, five ram, five male goats, and five male lambs in the first year. This was the offering of Gamaliel, the son of Abidachzur. On the ninth day, Abidan. Name means, my dad judges. Who likes that name? But you can tell he's Italian because he is the son of Gideoni. Can you say that any other way? Gideoni. It's like, I'd like Gideoni with a side of salsiccia, you know. Yedioni, leader of the children of Benjamin, which means son of my right hand, presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which is 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a? One gold pan of 10 shekels full of? One young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a? One kid of the goats as a? And as the sacrifice of? He is Two oxen. Hey, come on, we're getting there. We're getting close. Five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Abidan, the son of Gideon. On the tenth day. Ah. Means my brother helps. How do you like that name? The son of Amishadai. Leader of the children of Dan. Presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels. One silver bowl, 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them full of... As a, come on, you guys are falling asleep. You can't do it. One gold pan of ten shekels full of, one young bull, one ram, one male bull. I'm sorry, male lamb in the first year. As a, one kid of the goats as a, and as a sacrifice of, two oxen, five ram, five male goats, five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Achsizzer the son of Amishadai. On the eleventh day, Pagiel the son of Akron, leader of the children of Asher, presented an offering. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was one silver bowl of according to the shekels of the sanctuary, both of them full of as a one gold pan of ten shekels, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in the first year, as a one kid of the goats, as a as a sacrifice of peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs in their first year. And this was the offering of Bagiel, the son of Akran. It's just, I'm sad now because we're on the last one. On the twelfth day, Shakira, no, Ahira, sorry, Ahira, can you say Ahira? This, who names this? My brother of calamity. Yeah. Well, actually, if you've had a brother, you might name him this. The son of Inan. Inan, the leader of the children of Naftali, presented an offering. His offering was one? How was the weight of that? One silver bowl, the weight of that? According to the shekel of the? Both of them full of? As a? One gold pan of? Full of incense. One young bull, one ram, one male lamb, in its first year as a? One kid of the goats as a? As a sacrifice of? Two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs in the first year. This was the offering of Hira, the son of Enan, because the pans don't lie. Verse 84. You're like, how many verses is in this chapter? Are in this chapter. This was the dedication offering for the altar from the leaders of Israel when it was anointed. Twelve silver platters, twelve silver bowls, twelve gold pans, because that's adding them all together. This is the total now. Each silver platter weighed how much again? 130 shekels. Each gold bowl? Seven shekels. And as of the silver, the vessels weighed 2,400 shekels, according to the shekel of sanctuary. Twelve gold pans full of incense weighed 10 shekels apiece, according to the shekel of sanctuary. That should be really hard to do, 12 times 10. All the gold pans then weighed 120 shekels. Think of it this way, that for silver, a shekel was basically a month's wage. That kind of gives you an idea of reference. All the oxen of the burnt offering were 12 then young bulls, the rams, 12 male lambs in the first year, 12. Of the grain offering, the kids of the goats, as a sin offering, 12. All the oxen for the sacrifice of peace offering were 24 bulls, rams, 60, male goats, 60, ram, the lambs in the first year, 60. This was the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed. Now, when Moses went into the tabernacle of meaning to speak with him, that's God. He heard the voice of one speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the cherubim. Thus, he spoke to him. And already you feel like you should get a badge for reading the chapter. Read. Pray with me, would you please? <coughs> Lord, we truly believe that all scripture is breathed by you. And useful for correcting and teaching and rebuking and equipping and righteousness Training in righteousness that the man or woman of you would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We believe that. Well, we say we believe it, and then we get to chapters like this, and it seems like this is just so easy to read through and and be like, blah, 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 blah. It's almost as if it were just sort of like a slide to the next chapter. But Lord, you put it in here. You were meticulous to quote this. You not only did this, but you made sure that Moses would write it down. And then after making sure that Moses would write it down, made sure that it made it through all of the years and all of the, the captivities and all of the other things to where somewhere 3,400 years later we read this. And I believe, Lord, that everything you put in Scripture has some deep personal purpose for every one of us, not just for a pastor or for a group of Bible students, but for every one of us, this chapter included. So, Lord, amaze us today, not that we get something out of it, but that we get so much out of it that we walk out of here like we ate some kind of Italian meal. Where after we're so full, even after that, there's then there's secundi, the main dish. And Lord, not that we would be glutted first and foremost, but that we would be personally spoken to. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak fluent every one of us today, that you would minister profoundly, that you would reach us in such a way that we would all go, wow, what an awesome God. So, Lord, we commit every moment of this to you. Minister now. Have your way, we pray. We have worshipped you in praise. Now we want to worship you in the study of your word, to desire to be more like you, to hear your voice, to listen and obey. Make your word burst open and come alive. And may we have so much fun in your word now, we pray. Speak to each one of us in our heart of hearts, in our minds, where we need to be spoken to today. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say today is that when any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. All right, good. That's black for a second. So here we go. Ready? What did they give? Silver platter. Silver platter. How heavy was it? 130 shekels. Good. Okay. What was it full of? Fine flour mixed with oil. What else did they give? Silver bowl. Nice. How heavy was that? What was that full of? Fine flour mixed with oil. And what were those two? Those two were a specific offering. What was it? The grain offering. It was a grain offering. Then there was something gold offered. What was that? A gold Oh, look it, 12 times. And all y'all looking at me like I'm speaking Hebrew. Yes, it's a gold pan. What was that full of? Incense. Right. So the first offering that was offered in that sense or given was that of a grain offering. Does that make sense? Then there was that of incense. Then there was the third. And I'll just try to make it easy. Instead of trying to figure out and remember all those animals, there were three other offerings. Can anyone remember what they were? There was the burnt offering. Excellent. That was the next. And then sin offering. And then? And then the peace offering. Total, that was a five-offering offer. If we take the second as an offering of prayer. We have that of grain, that of prayer. We have that of burnt, sin, and Wow, listen to you. But here's the thing. Now that you got some detail, what were these offerings given for? Three times it was said here. Dang it. How many times does God have to repeat something before we get it? And you know the funny thing is? God, I'm convinced of this. If God repeats something, it must be important. If God repeats something, it must be important. If it's important because God repeats it, well then God repeats it, it must be important. You get the point. And yet somehow, three times was still not enough for us to get why they gave all that. Isn't that weird? You know what it was an offering for? To dedicate the altar. And all of a sudden, everything blows open. Go with me to the beginning of this, would you please? And by the way, let me just kind of share a little secret with you here. It doesn't really, can it be a secret if I'm sharing it with all of you? Chapter 7, we have this offering. But God is now doing something anachronistic. In other words, he's pulling us out of the normal time schedule. Follow me on this. If you go back to the beginning of the book of Numbers for a moment, look, and actually go back for a moment to the book of, of Exodus. That should be easy. That's two books back. Go to Exodus chapter 40. I'll wait. Go ahead, please. Because I don't want you thinking I'm making any of this stuff up. In Exodus chapter 40, verse 17. It tells us it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. Did you get that? So let's just put it now. Granted, they have different names for months. The first month's called Nisan, by the way. But let's just make it easy for ourselves. What would that be for us if we were to put it on our calendar? January 1st. Happy New Year. Did you get that? When was the temple or the tabernacle erected? January 1st. Let's put it that way. Does that make sense? Now go for a moment, if you would, to Numbers chapter 1. That's back where we were here. Chapter 1, verse 1. In chapter one, verse one, it says, now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. So when did the Lord speak to Moses of the wilderness of Sinai here? February 1st. Does that make sense? What's interesting is these three chapters, though, notice how this one starts. It came to pass when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle. When was that again? January 1st, right? Does that make sense? That he anointed it and consecrated it with all its furnishings and the alternate utensils. He anointed them and consecrated them. Go and flip for a moment to chapter 9, verse 1. And I'll try to put this together and hopefully it won't be confusing. That's, if we're doing a chapter a week, this is chapter 7. When is chapter 9 going to be done? Passover day. That would be two weeks, right? Look at chapter 9, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai on the first month of the second year. First month of the second year. We're going back in time, aren't we? After they had come out of Egypt, let the children of Israel keep the Passover in its appointed time on the 13th, 14th day of the month. At twilight, you shall keep its appointed time. According to all its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. So Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at twilight. Do you get this? God's going back a little, but he's pulling us out time wise because God's thinking more in theme than he is in chronology. And as he is this week, the elders give next week, we'll prepare. And then two weeks from today, Israel is going to celebrate its Passover the same day we are. And we discovered that yesterday that I thought was really cool. God has just put us on that track for what it's worth. Now, are you with me on that? God is sort of saying, meanwhile, back to the camp, he didn't want to stick that in the middle of Leviticus because he didn't want us to lose the theme of holiness that God was setting there versus the purpose behind this. Now, here it is. God, the temple, or the tabernacle had been erected. According to Numbers 9, by the way, we'll read that the cloud covered the tabernacle from evening until morning, and that there was always a clear presence of God above the tabernacle until God says, go. The moment that it leaves, you go with it. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be wonderful if it was that easy? If you're like, Lord, where do I go? And all you had to do was look for the cloud or the pillar. You know what the problem is? I think we'd be sussed out for how disobedient we really are. Because today we're like, God, I don't know if I really understand it. When sometimes, if we're really honest, we really do. But we try to play dumb. And I'll be honest. I understand that more today than I ever did. And the reason is because I have children. And there are times where it's like, I need you to take out the rubbish. Now, those should be easy words, but they look like, I don't understand. <laughs> what part? Take out or rubbish? The the words making a sentence. I'm sure what you meant by that was go and look at my computer. Pretty sure. Now we all know that's disobedience. And then God says, hello, you do that to me too. Now understand here, God is giving us a timestamp. And then from this, we get this offering. Now, in this offering, in verses 2 through 9, by the way, notice that the way that it is is that we all kind of get together. Now, if you remember, those of you who were around, in chapter 2, we had some leaders of each tribe. The same 12 are listed here, by the way. None are different. And of those 12, what we're doing is we recognize that for the tabernacle to be erected, it needs to function. There are going to be some things there. Church is happening now, but church isn't just a tent. God isn't just going camping. Sacrifice needs to be done here and when sacrifice needs to be done. This thing is also intended to be mobile Do you remember that and he talked to the priests as they were in sort of the Levites were in sort of three different groups Some of you were here for that week If you remember there were the Kohathites the Gershites and the Merarites remember that you guys remember which one you were Some of you if you do because it'll be important here in a moment And what we wanted to do here is we recognized that as leaders, those who were the 12 leaders, that we kind of recognized if this thing is going to get mobile, we should do something with it. And so what happens is we all kind of kick in and we each bring an ox. Now, you need to know in those days, an ox was your tractor. An ox was just not a big, dumb animal that you could eat when it was done. This was your workhorse. This was a thing that worked more than anything else. So this was sort of like what we did at this point is we handed over a lorry, a piece. That was the idea here. So we were really making sure of it. And also, then we all kicked in, and each two tribes kicked in and provided a cart. So we had one of those big old, you know, things with the sort of 16 wheelers. Then we also provided an empty shell on the back of it. Why is that? Because God said that there is a particular group of people that you're going to be carrying the tent. And there's a group of people, you're going to be carrying the bars and the beams and so forth. And there's another group of people, the Kohathites, and you guys are going to be carrying the articles, the pieces of furniture in the, in the actual tabernacle. Are you following me so far? And we kind of realize, wow, well, if we can, we should probably provide some, we should give them some wheels. And so as a result of that, they all kick this in. And in verse, verses 6 through 9, God starts to speak and he says, hey, let's lay this thing out. Though we have, in essence, six carts... And 12 oxen, the Kohathites are getting none of them. The Gershomites, who here was from Gershom? Do you remember that? Any any of you remember that? Uh Uh-oh. There were the Merari, those of Merari. The Gershomites. Does anyone remember what the Gershomites had to carry? Yep. They had to carry the outsides, the tent and the fabrics. You were one of those, right? Is it all coming back now, Taz? Okay. So you carried the tent, that was Gershom. Then there was Marari, the bright red Mararis. And the Mararis, by the way, had to carry the beams and the pillars. Does that make sense? So, which one do you give more carts to? Beams and the pillars, don't you think? Does that make sense? So, what happened is Gershom gets two carts, Marari gets four. Now, now, understand there's a space in between this because somewhere in us, until we actually move in time and realize, this was provided before God said this is how it's going to go down. Which kind of shows us that God had already, listen, 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 He had already taken care of the need before the need arose. And He has a tendency to do that, by the way. Some of the rougher moments in your life is God preparing, or are God preparing you for other moments you have yet to encounter. David was a, if you think about it, was a shepherd boy for four, for fifteen years following the sheep. Following the sheep. And what does he have to know? He has to know where the watering holes are. He has to know where the grass is. He has to know where the caves are. Because at night, you want to put those sheep in some place safe so that the wolves and other predators don't get it. Does that make sense? David had no idea, I'm sure, that he was actually in prep. But then he would spend the next 15 years running from his life from a guy that was a king that didn't want to step off the throne named Shual or Saul. But he was from Benjamin. So understand, though Saul was persecuting and prosecuting him, chasing after him, David was the one guy who, where did he flee to? The wilderness of Judah. Why? Because the boy knew where to get water. And the boy knew where to get in a cave because he had spent the first 15 years of his life training that we didn't know it. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And God will do that with you. Even in those things that seem so mundane, so ordinary, God is preparing you for something amazing. Imagine Paul, after trying out this new Christianity, flees because everyone wants to kill him, and he winds up back in his hometown making tents. Who would have ever thought? But then he's sought out, made pastor of the church in Syria, and then becomes the greatest missionary we know in history, writing at least a quarter of the New Testament. And then in all of that, has to put uses terms like when it says, that we are a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That is actually a sewing term, a fact term, about properly seeming something. And he says, you know, all those years of making tents, I get it. That's And imagine, the idea of it is when you don't bail on God, even the ordinary becomes a bit extraordinary. And I get that with Solomon. I get that with David. You get these guys and it's like I looked at a snake and went, wow. I get something out of that. And when Solomon's lit up with the Lord and following him with total abandon, he gets wonder out of everything. And to be honest, what would it be like if we were like that? When you use even the most ordinary circumstances and you go, you know, what should, Lord, what do you have to tell me in this? You're at Angel Station. It's 5 p.m. Maybe after four trains, you'll make it in. And you're like, I'm packed in like this. What should I learn from this, Lord? I had an assistant pastor up in Chico, California, northern California. His name was Barry. When Barry first met me, he was looking around every corner, and he talked like this a little, (laughs) but he said nobody could love God that much. And he was convinced I must have been a phony. And the cool part about it was, before he died, he came to the conclusion otherwise. But Barry was somebody that was diagnosed with leukemia, and he had a pretty rough go at it, to the point where he got to this point where he was, They had given him this medicine. His belly was sort of exploded, and he couldn't sleep at night, and he went out for a walk in his own front yard. Three sheriffs jump him and are jumping up and down on him because they think he is part of a stolen car radio ring. His wife is standing at the door screaming, You'll kill him! You'll kill him! And that was pretty close to the end of Barry. Barry went up back in the hospital, and those men came, Flowers and apologies. Of course, Barry said. If the Lord can forgive me of my sin, how can I not yours? I heard that at Barry's funeral when every one of those gave their life to Christ. It was the nurse who testified. She said, the guy drove me crazy because every day I would come in and he'd go, I want to thank you. For what? Because you remind me of Jesus. (laughs) Why? Why? Because you take out the garbage, the rubbish every day, just like Jesus does out of my life. She'd be like, "Ah, it's like Barney. I love you, you love me. But she said that at the funeral when she gave her life to Christ. There's something about being available for every one of these moments that becomes profound, I mean profound. And there's the case. In this situation with David, you would know he would do this because David would write there at what we used to call the thousand star hotel, laying on the grass, looking up at the sky, sleeping outside in Israel. Thousand star. And saying, when I consider the work of your fingers, the sun and the moon and the stars you have made, I start to ask, what is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you give him any time at all? You've made him a little lower than the angels and yet crowned him with glory and honor. Oh, Lord my Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth? And following the sheep and saying, you know, the Lord's my shepherd. I'm not going to want Him. And I watch. Me he makes me lay down in green pastures. And he leads me by still waters. And I, and I get this as He watches, and He kind of just holds on to those things. And it just His life became like his, his, his mobile, was always on for God to call and text and say, Hey, I'm here at this moment. Put me in. Insert me. And here we are in this chapter. And in this chapter, understand that these guys... I mean, some guys are carrying pegs. But without those pegs, the tent doesn't go up. Some are carrying ropes, but without those ropes, the tent doesn't go up. But the Kohathites are not going to get any carts. And you know why? Listen, listen, listen. Because this is our first major point before we get to this whole thing, which obviously kind of lines up here. Because God is not going to let the items that speak so profoundly about them... Just be put on carts. You, this, I want to warn you. What I'm about to say is about you and me. That's what it's about. According to the book of Revelation, twice there will be proclamation. You have made us kings and priests. That's what we become now, priests. That's the joy. We become priests. And yet, as those priests, God says, listen, you cannot expect things to just wheel in when it comes to these areas. These are areas that need to be put upon shoulders. God tells us that when it comes to the ark, and and we look at those pieces of furniture, there is the ark in the Holy of Holies. There is the golden altar of incense. There is over here the table of showbread. There is over here the lampstand, the menorah. Outside there is the, the, the bronze altar, the altar of sacrifice. And he says, "None of those things get put on a cart because those are on your shoulders to carry." Are you with me on that so far? And then I look at what they are: the presence of God. And we'll see at the end of the chapter, Moses speaks to God, who we read dwells between the cherubim upon the mercy seat, there at the ark. And I can't help but think one was it points me back to this image that is so profound of where God removes Adam and Eve out of the garden and there were angels parked. And in between them, if I could have just got through those, I would have been at that place where I just get to be intimate with God all the time. That's what I want. And I would look and it's like, could you imagine, where do you think was God when he was kicking out Adam and Eve because of their sinful state? Still in the garden. What would it be like to leave the garden and see those two angels, those cherubim, and a flaming sword, and on the other side of it is God, and looking and going, this will never be the same. I get this idea that God creates that image, but this time there's something different on the ark, because there are those cherubim, but in between those cherubim is a seat that God calls, not the seat of judgment, not the seat of anger, but the seat of mercy, and it is covered in blood. And in that box there, is the broken law. That's what's in that box that we call the ark. The broken law and upon the broken law is the blood that is shed for which God will dwell upon. And I think that's where I want to be because that's the place of intimacy. And God says, listen, that does not come by program. That does not go on wheels. That goes on shoulders. That is on your shoulders and my shoulders to carry. And I want people saved out there. How about you? But we think, well, it'll wheel in from somewhere else. Really? God has given us the pleasure. Listen, this is not he's, put, he's given us the burden, but he's given us the blessing of being able to be a part of someone's testimony. Or someone will say, you know what? My life was empty and miserable and without anything. But I'll tell you what, someone loved me enough to tell me that there was a God who opened up those gates again through the blood of Jesus Christ and said, come and be intimate with me now. Have you accepted that gift? And if you haven't accepted that gift, can I be the person to, to start this by saying, listen, my God so loves you, he would rather die than live without you. And so he died on a cross to pay for your sins, bled and died, and then rose again on the third day and says, now I offer you the death of who you were and a new creation on the other side in my resurrection. And I want to give you a new life, not just the absence of the old, but a, 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 now a completely new creation. And I want to give you that. Well, we could be intimate again forever. And if you haven't said yes to that, no, you will have the opportunity by the time we're done here. But beloved, please hear me. That will not happen through some other source. not—I mean And what happens is there are programs, but I believe those programs are designed to help people realize that they could be part of it. People are not saved from the Alpha Course, with all due respect. People are saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If the, if the Alpha Course helps bring it, someone's still got to say it. And it tells us that the gospel is the power of salvation to anyone who would believe. People don't get saved from AA. People don't get saved from church movements or revival. People get saved from the gospel that gets presented by, it's on the shoulders of the priest. And you are now a priest, beloved. And I'm not trying to lay a burden. I'm trying to give you the blessing of knowing, man, there's nothing like watching somebody that was just dead in their trespasses and sin be made alive in front of you. And what's so fun is that first time you share and you give, you do something crazy, you actually give them the choice. And You say, would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And they say, yes. And inside you're like, really? But you're like, yeah, well, of, course, of course. It's on your shoulders, beloved. It's on mine, too. God says, that doesn't sit on a cart. And that is so serious that there was a time in, in 2 Samuel, perhaps you're familiar with it, when that is attempted, 2 Samuel 6. And I find this interesting. There, there, I mean, David is so lit up and he's so excited. He's kind of spazzing over this whole thing. And the ark is on a new cart. And the cart is being wheeled in and David's whirling and dancing about. And this is a big worship service. Now understand, as far as worshiping in spirit and in truth, this is what happens when it's spirit without truth. Oh, David's in it. And he's in it to win it. He's spinning and twirling, and his clothes are flying off. And this guy just doesn't look like king anymore. And everyone's like da 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 da. And the ox stumbles. Now the ox is a symbol of work. You don't expect him to stumble. And what happens? Then the cart topples, and a guy named Uzza reaches out his hand and stables the ark. And then he's like, bam! And he drops dead just like that. And you can imagine too, it's like, oh lord, oh lord, oh lord, what lord, just? Oh. Nothing ruins a good worship service like somebody dying right in front of you, being smote by God. Interesting. Listen, by the way, means strength. And strength tried to straighten this out and died in front of him. And David went, mmm, I can't bring this to my house. It kills people. Let's send it to this guy's house. And that's what he does. By the way, his name, by the way, literally means red servant. And David was a ruddy servant when he started. And then what David discovers is everything in his house gets blessed. But what if it were you? What if he's like, oh, we better not do this. Let's send it to the barn. And all of a sudden, what happens is you go in there. What would, what would Juan say or not say if he walked in? And he's like, oh, I'm, let's not talk about that here. The ark's in here. Like, you know, what would you not watch or watch? What would you not do or do? Because the ark was in your house. But David realizes, whoa, his, this guy's getting blessed. Okay, I guess I should take it. And off he goes, but the second time, it is not on a cart. It goes on the shoulders of the priest like it's supposed to. And maybe you're in one of those situations where like, you know what? I just, well, I just, let's just sign up for a program and let's just hope. Hey, be a carrier of the presence of God. Oh, but there's other items. There's the item here, and this is the item of, of incense. It tells us in Psalms, by the way, let my prayers be to you. And I love the idea of this. Oh, my prayers. To you, like the morning, the morning praise and the idea of of incense. I just love what God wants to do here. The lifting of my hands, evening sacrifice. God wants us to realize that when we lit incense in the tabernacle, please understand this was a closed tent, no windows. So when you lit this incense, it rose up and it filled the roof and then it came back down and you were there long enough until you were saturated in that smell. So when you came out of the tent, you came out smelling like those, that incense you burned. And I wonder what it would be like if that was our prayer life. I'm not talking about that kind of, hello, welcome to heaven, may I take your order, please. You're like, well, yeah, I would like, um, I'd like a couple blessings, please, and um, I'd like that job, and can I get that audition, please, and, and please pay all my bills and make my kids obey. Okay, please pull forward and say, in Jesus' name. You know, and that's like our prayer life. And we wonder why, and God's like, look, I wanted us to pray. Understand the idea of it, it's like, I want us to pray because I want us to talk. Because we talk because I want a relationship with you. But what would it be like if we were like that, where we're, all of a sudden there we were, and we were praying, and the, the incense came down. And you're like, I, I don't want to leave here. I guarantee you, when you walk out, someone's going to go, you've been praying again, haven't you? It's a very different thing. Could you imagine if that was our prayer life? But it wasn't just that table of incense or the altar of incense. It was also the table of showbread, which testifies, by the way, which testifies of God's provision. And the world wants to see a God that provides. And I'm not just talking about, well, I just paid for a Bentley and God's just going to give me a Bentley. Why does God want to give you a Bentley? I understand nothing is more important to God than your relationship with him. That's what's most important. And God will give you what caters and draws you close to him. And he doesn't want to give you that which takes you away. And when we testify of his provision, please understand, this is not, I mean, God is not our master card. He's our master. And the difference is our faith is not to move his hand to give us what we want. Our faith is actually to receive what's in his hand already. Your will be done. But please understand, what could happen is we make our religion more by proxy. In other words, could would you please pray for me because I'm not I'm not going to pray because I don't pray very well. But you, God probably listens to you because you pray in King James or something, right? And so, but God's like, look at, it's on your shoulders too. I want you to pray because I want to talk to you. And you're like, but I talk kind of weird. And God's like, that's okay. I know who you are. Because you imagine. If, like, David and I want to hang out, and David wants to talk to me, and he's like, Hey, man, how's it going, man? What's going on, man? I'd be like, David, what's wrong with you, man? He's like, no, nothing, man. I'm just being cool, man. I'm being cool. I'm, gonna go. I'm talking to Eduardo, man. I want to talk to Eduardo. I'm like, bro, you know what? I think Eduardo would be more blessed if you stopped sounding an essay from East L.A. and you actually just talk like you normally do. Now, maybe Eduardo might like it for a little bit, but... There was a woman from Syrophoenicia, and she approaches the Lord, and she says, "Have mercy on me, O Son of David." Now, his, her, her daughter's possessed, and it sounds like God disses her because he, what happens is He like doesn't give her time. He's like, He's like not giving her the time of day. And you kids go, "Whoa, whoa, what's up?" This is a Gentile woman. And then He finally says, "It is not right to give to take the bread and give it to the dogs or the puppies." You go out, right? And then she says, yeah, but you know what? We'll take crumbs. That's enough for us. Now, please understand. And then she says, help me. Please understand that this son of David stuff was not Syrophoenician talk. Nobody talks son of David there. So this woman, you can almost see her like looking in the mirror. Have mercy, son of, da- son of David. I mean, how do I? Son of David! You know, and, like practicing. And it gets before the Lord, and the Lord's like, that's a really nice performance, but I just need you to talk to me. And she goes, help. And he's like, I- I'm-, I'm hearing you now. I'm hearing you. Thank the Lord that we don't have to get super fancy in our prayers. Because for Peter... Who takes his eyes off the Lord for a moment and drops in the water. He didn't have a lot of time for, bring us now the Lord God. Blah, 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 blah. He would have died before he got to amen. He just said, ah, blah, blah, blah. and that was enough because it was effective because that was the cry of his heart. Hey, listen, the Lord wants to hear you talk to him because he wants a relationship with you, not just a group reservation. Prayers on our shoulders, as is the, God's provision. But not only that. For the way that God leads us with a candle stand, that goes on our shoulders, too. Because, see, the world wants to know. We talk about this God. We have a relationship with Jesus died and he resurrected and he's alive. And people don't want an argument. What they really want is evidence. But we want to tighten up our arguments. And people are like, blah, 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 blah. Everyone's got an argument. But any of you get argued into the kingdom? And we say, look at this God, he lives inside of me and and he loves me and he has this relationship with me. And people have a right to go, really, how? And you know what? For us, we might go, I don't know. But archaeologically, or I went to one of those apologetic seminars and I could yell at you. But what they're looking for is, well, who is he? Let me tell you how he led me today. And I've learned this. God speaks fluent in us. And the way that he leads might be different for you than me. I mean, you ever had that person and they're like, you know what? I was just praying, Lord, give me a sign. And there it was, a billboard, and it said, go to China. And that's what I was wondering. And you're like, God never talks to me that way. Because to be honest, you'd probably look at the sign and you wouldn't even read it. God knows how to speak to you. For me, it's—, a, it's to be honest, it's an audible voice in my heart. It's a single sentence. He doesn't say more than that normally, to be honest, because at that point I'd probably argue with him and he knows better. He waits, lets me ruminate. But if he did that to you, he might know. this. You might go, I'm not sure that's the Lord. But he knows how to speak fluent you. And because he does, he knows how to address you in such a way. And I want you to know that what's on our shoulders also is to let the world know how he leads us. Now, it does say in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I get that. And the more I open up that book, man, the more clear my path gets. Oh, but then there's that last one outside. And that one gets carried too. That's the altar. Are you with me so far? We've walked from the inside out. And the whole chapter is about that from this point on. Are you with me so far? Please, please hear me. Please hear me. This is not God saying, "Allie, do this, do this, do this, do this. But rather, Ali, I'm going to give you the blessing. And this is what I've learned. If you fall in love with the Lord and delight in him, you just find yourself doing those things. Hey, any anybody who's in love gets loose lips. Have you learned that? And Daniel will be like, and I'm just using him as an example. But Daniel, he'd be like, you know, everything like he brings up her name, Gertha. You know, it's like, that reminds me of Gertha. I'm like, how does that remind you of Gertha? We were, you know, it's like, what a beautiful sunset. Yes, reminds me of Gertha. What a great meal. Yes, reminds me of Gertha. No, we all kind of looked at it. He might say, well, I don't really like Gertha. But we all go, yeah, whatever. We know better. The testimony is in because it says, and easy to remember, 1, 2, 3, 4, Matthew 12:34 from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It doesn't say from the contents of the heart, but the abundance. When your heart is overflowing with a good theme, it falls out of your mouth. Your mouth is the overflow valve. Do you get that? So please hear me. If we fall in love with the Lord, we're going to find ourselves doing it. That's the beauty. You go, well, I took six tests to find out what my spiritual gifts are, and I decided this. And and the pastor said, you know, that my giftings are in children's ministry, but I hate kids. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. But if you delight yourself in the Lord, you find yourself doing what the Lord calls you to. And I love that. It really is that simple. And then all of a sudden what you find is those things get put on your shoulders because God's yoke is easy and his burden is light. It doesn't become a burden anymore in a way that you're like, oh my goodness, the Lord. But it's like, you know what? I can't wait to I can't wait to sit and tell you the next time about the Lord Jesus. That's why have so many studies throughout the week. I'd have more if I could because I just love what I get to do. But please hear me in this. We could put things on carts in regards to helping the church get set up, getting the structure together, getting the tent on it. But when it comes to the things that revolve around God's presence and how he interacts with human beings, that's what sits on your shoulders and mine. Does that make sense? And the world, here's the interesting thing, the world wants to argue over the pillars. Well, I heard in the structure of the church this, and I heard what about the inquisitions, and what about this, and what about that? And God says, look, at, I, I, you can put that on a cart and wheel it, but let's talk about the important things, the things that involve you and me. Because that's the stuff that people are really going to go mental when you actually stop arguing over dumb things and bring in the truth. You all with me? So then listen. The rest of the chapter with all of these guys that we have here, please follow me on this. It's really simple. Each one of them gives the same thing, right? But they did it. And look at it with me so you know I'm not making this up. Look at verse 10. Now the leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar. Do you see that? What did they give this for? To dedicate the altar. Which altar? It's the altar. Listen. It is the altar that you are required to go to if you're going to go into this place at all. It is your cover charge. Look at verse 84. This was the dedication offering of the altar. Do you see that? Look at the end of verse 88. This was the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed. Do you get it? God wanted to make sure three times and it wasn't enough for us. And you're like, why does God have to repeat himself? Because we failed the test with three. Me too, by the way. And this is what it was. Listen, what is this altar? This is the altar where an innocent animal is sacrificed for your sin. This is the altar where this is where you enter in through the east. And this is the place where you say, and listen, 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 if your sacrifice is perfect, not you but your sacrifice is perfect, you can enter into the presence of the Lord. That's the idea here. Please hear me. This is the way God set it up. He did not set it up to say, you need to be perfect, and you need to be perfect, and let me check your behavior, and let me make sure you've given enough, let me make sure you've been to the right places enough, let me make sure you've... But God says, listen, it's always about the idea that the priest never susses out the individual. He doesn't look and go, so how perfect are you? He looks at your sacrifice, because here's the thing, you can't pick yourself, but you can pick your sacrifice. And in this, God says, I want it perfect. I don't want it. I don't want your nasty old manty thing that's about to die anyways. I want a perfect sacrifice. And why is that? Because in the end of it all, what we get to pick is our sacrifice. Now, listen, you're standing before the Lord before eternity. Right now, you walk out this door, you get run over by a herd of yak. And you're, and you're like, I didn't expect that. And you're standing before the Lord. And the Lord says, let's talk for a moment. And you're like, sure. And well, he goes, well, what do you have? What's your sacrifice? And you say, my good works. And God goes, so that was perfect, wasn't it? Everything you've done has always been perfect? No. That's what you want to pick? I'm a relatively good person. Is it perfect? Well, of course it's not perfect. Then don't pick it. Well, I went to church once or twice, a Christmas and an Easter. Someone dragged me once. I went to that guy and I feel like it seemed like forever. Really? Try that with the Lord. Was it perfect? And Jesus steps in and says, I'll be your sacrifice. Tempted in every way, yet without sin. Perfect. Died for my sins on the cross. Perfect. How do I know? Rose again on the third day. Perfect. And this is the son to the father. The father doesn't even have to ask, right? So what's your sacrifice? He just looks and says, Jesus, my son. Woe to the person that stands before the court of eternity and says, I choose to represent myself. That's like, I'm looking for perfect. I ain't finding it. Okay, maybe God speaks better English, but you get the idea. So listen, that altar there is the altar that leads us to one thing in the New Testament, and that thing is the cross. Because it is there that God's perfection was sacrificed for my sins. Do you get it? And all of a sudden, this whole thing explodes. He's like, how do we separate this thing from the guy that's out there right now in Camden, wearing it on his ear or tattooed on his neck or wearing it like Madonna on her neck or whatever, you know? And it's like, that's their cross. It's clean and tidy. How was my cross different? And he says, look at five things here, five things, and we'll wrap this up. He goes, first of all, grain, right? Wasn't that our first offering here? The offering was grain. And understand, that's my purpose and my fruitfulness. And I understand, before the cross, I bore the fruit of death. But the moment I came and gave my life to Jesus Christ and let Jesus die in my place at the cross, everything changed. And now I bear the fruit of life. And here's the crazy part. You can't make fruit. It just happens when you're healthy. Before this, I was dead. Dead people don't propagate. Just their diseases do. Only living things propagate. But understand, God wants you to know, at this altar, at the cross, at this altar, all things happen. And listen, this is what Jesus says in John. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, into the ground literally, and dies, listen, it remains alone. It doesn't just say it, it is alone. Unless it falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it does die, it bears much grain, the same word that we read here. And he says, here's the cool thing. At the cross, I died. And that's why the cross is so offensive. Because I'm telling someone that thinks they're pretty cool, you need to die. And they're like, I don't want to die. I'm pretty awesome. And you're like, you're not as awesome as you think you are. But here's the cool thing. that The cross is the half the story. The other half is the resurrection. Because that's where new life is. God is not a God of knots; He's a God of instead ofs. And instead of the death that I had before, I live a new life now. And I bear forth the fruit of eternal life. That's radical. And that was our first offering. The second, remember, was that of prayers, of praise, that incense. And I get the idea because it even says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus himself, when he had offered up his body on the cross with prayers that were vehement before God, he was heard because of his much godliness, because of this. And understand, God heard Jesus' prayers, and this was his prayer, I want you. That's his prayer. Jesus said, if there was another way to get hell, if there was another way to get Daniel, another way to get Jamie, another way to get Mario, then don't let me go to the cross. But if going to the cross, I could have Mario in hell, and I could have Daniel, and I could have Jamie, and I could have Henry, and I could have Sarah, then I will go. And it tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning a shame. You need to know that the joy set before him on that cross, those nails didn't hold him to the cross. You did. I did. Because he so knew that the one thing he was getting through, that was us. And I get the idea here that that happens at the, at the altar. The third of them, do you remember what it was? It was the burnt offering. Now, listen, we read in Matthew 13 that, that the kingdom of heaven is like one who walked through a field and saw a treasure hidden in the field. And for love of that jewel, that treasure, he gave up all that he had to purchase the whole field. And some would say, well, that's the idea is so we have to give up everything. But you can't purchase the treasure. Flip it. Because he had already told us the field was the world in the first parable. Somebody walked through the field, saw, walked through the world, saw a treasure so precious that it was worth giving up everything for. So what's the treasure now? You are. You need to know that you are so precious, so valuable, that only one person in the entire universe could afford you, and it cost them everything. Burnt sacrifice is the one sacrifice where the entire animal is completely consumed, and Jesus was completely surrendered to purchase you. And I get it. At the cross, I'm reminded that's how precious I am. Find that in another religion with all due respect. That was our second. That was our third. What's the fourth? Sin. Isaiah 53. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. not. Surely our sorrows he carried and our griefs he bore. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was chastised for our iniquity. Crushed for our sin. And yet, just remember, our well-being was, was upon him. And by his stripes, we are all healed because we like sheep have gone astray, each one to our own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. One thing's for sure. I know my sins paid in full. And at the cross, it's bloody and crude. I know that my sins paid for in full. Paid for in full. That's what he said, Tetelestai. And then what was the last of them? Peace. It was the biggest one, wasn't it? I mean, everyone else who kind of gave a ram and a kid and this and that. I mean, for the sin offering, it was just one animal, right? But this one, it was like one of this and five and five and five. That was, think about it, that was 16 animals. Why? Because this one's different. And please hear me in this. Because what was so cool about the peace offering is that's the one where you give the nasty parts, unless you're from Scotland, that actually nobody eats. And you let them burn on the fire. And then you take the meat and you invite everybody that you know, especially who you had been at enmity with, and you invite them over for a barbecue. Because the idea of it is, let's say we were in some form of disagreement and now we're actually right with each other. We want to eat together as a t- testimony but not just you and me your family and my family because what we want is for everybody to know that we are now unified we eat of the same animal we break of the same bread do you get it understand this was the last of them and the biggest of them and why is that because a whole lot of people are invited in now hey i want you to know how i have peace with god but it's not just peace with god peace with you now and it isn't about black and white it isn't about old and young and rich and poor and educated and not it is about jesus or not It isn't about Calvinist and free will. It isn't about where you stand on the rapture. One day we're all going to agree with all of that stuff, and we'll all feel pretty dumb. And I guarantee you, if the Lord comes back right now, and we get sucked up, no one's going to have a chutzpah to look and go, ha, 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 I was right. The Lord's like, I could send you back down right now. What really matters is Jesus. Do you have him or not? That's what matters. And the moment I actually embrace him at the cross, I realized this jerk, this rotten wretch was so saved. But how can I look at you and go, hmm. how can I do that? So, beloved, please hear me. The whole chapter was that everyone, here's the cool thing, is it doesn't matter what tribe you're from. You could be from Gad, you could be from Naphtali. You could be from Asher. You could be from Dan. You could be from either tribe of Ephraim. We all gave the same thing because it all, all of those things are for every one of us at the cross. At the cross. At the cross. And God's like, look at it, 12 different times. Now, don't you think God was like, blah, 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 and they all gave it? And You're like, that would have been good enough for me. But did you notice God did not do that? Tonight, right here, because we've gone that long, tonight. Daylight savings time. We're about to pray. God says, and surely she saw the cross the right way. She saw it in her purpose. She saw it in my provision and in my peace and in my presence. She saw it. Joe, she saw the cross the right way. She saw that that was where real fruitfulness comes from. She saw it in her prayers. She saw it in her praise. She saw it in my provision. She saw it in my promise. Joe got it. Yasmin, she got it. Aren't you thankful God didn't go, in the left side, 70%. But by name, Julia got it. Peter got it. Naomi got it. He's taking down names. And that's what he does here. Now listen, as we go to prayer, how does it end? Think about this. At the end of all of this giving, on our preparation for the Passover in two weeks, and by the way, remember how it's like each guy gave a different day? So that 12 of those 14 days were given up to giving, right? Tomorrow, it's Juan. The day after that, it's going to be, and you get the idea here. It's going to be Andre, and then the day after that, it's Anthony or whatever. Here's the cool thing. We've gone through 12 of the 14 days, but in two weeks from today on this text, we're in the Passover. And he wants our hearts to be right. Because listen, listen, listen. This Passover we're about to do will be the first one that we look back. Don't miss that. The last time we were doing a Passover was in Egypt. When we were already slaves and we were in bondage and God just whooped every God in Egypt to get us out. And he goes, look, before we even get to one where you look back, let's clear some stuff up and let's get to the cross again. What if he did that with communion? He's like, before we do a communion, let's make sure, because next week, by the way, will be Communion Sunday. Let's make sure that we have the cross right. So that it isn't just an empty, all right, bread, let's do some singing in Hebrew. All right, let's get this done. Let's drink a cup. Let's get out. Really? God called it Communion. Not commuters. So please hear me as we go to prayer. Today, God wants to start with that. Do you have the cross right in your life? Is it in your crosshairs? Is it where you should be? Do you see it for what it really is? And if you do, then God says, now that you cross the cross, the cross, I've made you a priest. And at the priest I'm putting some stuff on your shoulders because the people are going to start to see someone with a relationship with God and that is what they're desperate for and they don't even know it. If you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ or you're not sure, you can walk out of here, sure. We're going to pray a prayer right now. And at the end of it I ask you to listen to this prayer. And at the end of it, if you agree, that's why I'm asking you to listen. If you agree, I ask you to give a confident and profound amen. And what you're saying is, I agree, so be it in my life, let that prayer be mine. If you have said yes to Jesus, then after that prayer, we're going to pray a second prayer. A prayer that says, God, make us now the priests you call us to be. you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this awesome, awesome chapter. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done here. Thank you, Lord, for how you guide us and lead us. Thank you, Lord, that you did not want us to die away from you. Thank you, Lord, that you did not want us to spend eternity in a state of fallen sinfulness. But rather you knew from the beginning when you actually shed the blood of animals, so that they could be Adam and Eve could be clothed, that there would be a day that we would hunger for where we could be intimate with you again and walk in the garden where you call us to. But Lord, I recognize that we are not perfect. We can't be our own sacrifice, we're not perfect. Our works can't be, our church affiliation, our denominational affluence or whatever, Lord. All of our knowledge in the world is not perfect. All of our behavior is not perfect. But thank you that you've given us the opportunity to choose today your perfect sacrifice. And we know it's perfect. First, because he's your son. Second, because you've made clear that he was tempted in every way yet without sin. And third, because he rose from the dead to prove that it was accepted. It's proven, and so, Lord, I come to you not perfect. you never asked me to, but I come to you just as I am. And I lay myself before you when I say, Lord, if you really want to forgive me through Jesus' death on the cross, if you really want to set me free and make me new, well, then I'd be a fool to say no, and I say yes. I may not understand everything, but I understand this much. If you want to take the sinful me, The the dirty me, the guilty me, and lay him to rest and raise up a brand new creation that has intimacy with you as my creator. I say yes. I say yes to Jesus' death on the the cross for my behalf, his ransom. I say yes to his lordship in my life as my risen Lord. And I ask now for you to be the author of my reinvention. So here I am. I say yes to you, Father, in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer... I ask you to say, Amen. And Lord, right now I pray for every believer in this room, myself included. Make us the priests that you call us to. Put upon our shoulders the testimony of your presence. The testimony of your provision. The testimony of your promise. The testimony of how your prayers have been answered and your prayers were not. Gimme, gimme, gimme. But Lord, just I want them. Not give me stuff. Lord, Upon our shoulders, you give us the, the, the privilege of showing how you lead us and how you've provided perfectly for us at the cross. So, Lord, as you send us out of here and prepare us now, may we so fall in love with you, we find ourselves doing what you've called us to. And we thank you for the blessing of calling on your name today. So have us completely. We are yours. Now, Lord, fill us with your spirit to accomplish what we cannot humanly do. We're yours and we love you.